Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. It's time once again for FOMO Friday. Yes, it is. We love to squelch your fear of missing out, particularly if you are not listening to the propaganda media any longer. And I have been very fortunate in my life to have been able to see all the different sides of education. In high school, I attended both a public and a private school. Not at the same time, but (laughs) as an adult, I served on a school board and was an ombudsman between the school district and the state legislature. And now I am homeschooling our two young daughters. Now, some have questioned why I would not send them to the local public school system. My answer every time is that I can teach them much better than the public schools. And our first story is just another example of what I'm talking about. There are no students proficient at grade level in math or reading at dozens of Illinois public schools, according to a new report from a nonprofit research organization. Now, the report from WirePoints found that at 30 Illinois schools, no students can read at grade level, none, while at 53 schools, no students are proficient in math. The school uh, the schools are primarily located in the Chicago area. Big shocker, right? And and the the spending per student varies. Um, well, in in 2022, from about six thousand to more than fifty thousand dollars. Now, the, quote the absolute failure to teach every single child to read and do math in so many schools is yet another indictment of the state's educational system. That's directly from the report and what it, what it says. One school referred um, by uh, WirePoints is, uh, is Spry Community Links High School, who's, again, located in Chicago, where none of the 88 students are, are proficient in either math or reading, despite the school spending more than $35,000 per student every single year. Another Chicago school, Douglas Academy High School, spends over $56,000 per student yearly. But none of its 44 students can read or perform math at proficient level. 22 of the 30 schools with dismal reading scores were located in the Chicago area. So not all of them were in the Chicago area, but the vast majority, right? While more than 30 of the 53 schools with students who aren't proficient in math were also in the Windy City. Now, WirePoint uh, noted that in 622 Illinois schools, only one in 10 students, less than 10%, could read at grade level. Wow. While the same ratio stands true for math, at 930 schools. That's almost a thousand schools. (laughs) That's terrible. I mean, why worry about censorship of books when people can't read? Quote, defenders of our current system are sure to invoke COVID as the high, as the big reason for low scores. But a look at 2019 numbers show that the reading and math numbers are only slightly better 
than they are now. This is directly from the report. And guess what? They predicted it exactly right. According to Chicago Public Schools, the lower scores can be attributed to the pandemic. And several schools included in the Wirepoints report are designated for those who have previously dropped out. Quote, the majority of schools listed in the recent Wirepoints uh, report are CPS opinions schools, hmm, which serve students who enrolled after dropping out. Um, I'm sorry, options schools serve some of our most vulnerable students who face higher rates of challenges related to special education, housing, instability, involvement in the judicial system, and victimization. The combination of these challenges lead to higher rates of mobility, transiency, um, uh, chronic absenteeism, and uh, disengagement from school for extended periods of time. This is what the school district said in a statement to Fox News. Now, the report comes as Illinois Democratic Governor J.B. Pitzker has voiced support for elements of a proposed AP African-American Studies curriculum. Get this. In a letter to the college board, Pitzker said it is necessary for the curriculum to include the history of black queer Americans, unquote. So he he also asked for a nearly 10% increase in state funding for education in his recent State of the State address. So the, the, the governor's solution to this, uh, let me just get this straight. The, the governor's solution to his failing school systems is taking, on, uh, t- taking more time out of the classroom for, from learning of, of reading and writing and math, which they're failing at, and instead learning about black queer Americans. That's his solution. And the other part of his plan is to take more taxpayer dollars and give the schools up to $55,000 per student per year instead of a measly 50000 or something, right? No, thank you. I will be teaching my kids and have them far surpassing their peers. And in our next story, the publisher of Roadal, who's the famed children's author who wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Matilda, you may have read James and the Giant Peach, and how about the big BFG, among other works, of course, has has collaborated with the Roadal's Story Company, which manages the works and the copyrights and the and the trademarks, to make hundreds of alterations they call them alterations, in order to not offend anyone with Dahl's original works. Now, the Roll Story uh, Company admitted that they had worked with, this is an organization called Inclusive Minds, which monitors children's literature for inclusion, diversity, and accessibility. <laughs> this is according to the Washington Post. Now, the Telegraph eliminated some of the changes made by Dahl's books, and their report caused author Shalman Rushdie uh, himself. He's a he's an uh, Iranian death warrant. Uh, he has an Iranian death warrant uh, out on his life for his work, and he tweeted out this. He said, "Roadal was no angel, but this is absurd censorship." Puffin Books and Doll Estate should be ashamed. I would agree with that. 
the Rolladol Story Company uh, argued that the changes were, well, quote, small and carefully considered, unquote. While insisting that they wanted to ensure that Rolladol's uh, wonderful stories and characters continued to be enjoyed by all children today. Their statement added this. It says, when publishing new print run, uh, runs of books written years ago, it's not unusual to review the language used alongside updating other details, including a book's cover and page layout. Now, some of the changes implemented by the publisher included these following, and, and you can judge for yourself whether or not they should have done it or not. In the twits, have you ever seen a woman with an uglier face than that? Became this. Have you ever seen anyone with an uglier face than that? Oh, do shut up, you old hag, became, oh, do shut up, you old cow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay, in the witches, the following sentences were removed. I do not wish to speak badly about women. Most women are lovely. That was taken out. Uh, how horrid disgusting my grandmother said <laughs> really when an actress wears a wig or if you or i were to wear a wig we would be putting on uh, over our own hair but a witch has to put it straight on her naked scalp <laughs> it's just just some weird ones i mean, there, there's some that are very predictable like in matilda mothers and fathers became Yes, you guessed it. Parents. No, it wasn't birthing partners or whatever. You know, it was, they did move it to parents. They don't. We can't say mothers and fathers because, you know, not everybody has a mother and father. Anyway, you know. Uh, how about uh, she went on olden day sailing trips with Joseph Conrad. She went to Africa with Ernest Hemingway, and to India with Rudyard uh, uh, Kipling. And this. And they, they took all of that out, and and this is what they they uh, they made it into. It says she went to 19th century estates with Jane Austen. She went to Africa with Ernest Hemingway and California with John Steinbeck. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's <laughs> just anyway. In Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you may have even heard some of these. The the, the sentence was entirely removed. This sentence right here, Mike TV himself had no less than 18 toy pistols of various sizes hanging from his belt around his body. And every now and again, he would leap up into the air and fire off half a dozen rounds from one or another of these weapons. <laughs> so you can see why you would want to take that out, because that instills violence in little children, right? <laughs> The sentence was also removed. This this sentence right here was also removed. The Oompa Loompas spent every moment of their days climbing through the treetops. I I don't know. Don't ask me. I don't get that one. Uh, in the and again, these were carefully considered, right? In the BFG, the word black was consistently replaced with the word dark in sentences such as. It was something black, or it was something tall and black, or something very tall and very black and very thin. <laughs> so we can't say the, the, the word black. We have to say the word dark, right? Oh, I mean, since we are updating classic works of arts, I, it's, it's my opinion 
that we need to put some sort of swimming trunks on Michelangelo's David statue, wouldn't you think? <laughs> I, and, you know, I've maintained for a while that leftist liberals have proven that they are just anti-law enforcement. I mean, given the opportunity, they will always support the lawbreaker over the lawful. And here's just another example of this. California Democrats and activists are working to outlaw multiple uses of police canines in the state, citing claims of precedent and historical racism. Assembly Bill 742, introduced on February 13th by a Democratic Assembly members, Corey Jackson, J- Jackson and Ash uh, Collery, uh, would end the use of canine units for arrest, apprehension, and crowd control. <laughs> wow. Police dogs would still be permitted in other situations, such as explosive detection. Oh, we can blow them up. That's okay. <laughs> and and search and rescue missions. <laughs> I mean, we got it. Yes, you're right. We, it, it is the, the, the job of the legislature to outlaw dogs. Quote, from the brutal uh, attempts to quell the civil rights movement, Black Lives Matter protests, and their day-to-day use in law enforcement, police canines remain a gross misuse of force and victimize Black and brown people disproportionately. That's what Jackson said during a press conference. Hey, I I don't, maybe I inserted a little bit of inflection that he didn't have. But anyway, quote, the need for AB 742 is apparent, not only through a historic perspective, but also through the clear racial disparities we see every year. Wow. In a press release, the assemblyman cited uh, research. He cited research that said that black and Latino individuals were more likely to be involved in canine apprehensions. According to Jackson, 65% of those seriously injured by police dogs in 2021 were people of color. (laughs) Yeah. 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 All, All of that is because dogs are racist. Okay. Jackson said using police dogs for matters such as apprehensions of suspects has racist roots back to the days of slavery noting that AB 742's role is largely meant to remedy past racial wrongs. So, okay, this isn't to do anything about today. This is a vehicle to go back in history and time and right some wrongs. Quote, I'm always looking for ways to atone for the past, the Democrat said. How do we get out of systemic racism? Wait a minute. We're not supposed to get out of systemic racism. That's the, that's their point, right? It's systemic. And so we can't do anything about it. We're just to wallow in it, right? How do we get out of racism in our narratives? And how do we make sure that we erase practices that are currently being done today that were originated and perfected on our ancestors? Hmm. Jackson went as far as to actually quote black nationalist Mark, Malcolm X saying that the white man has traded in white sheets for police badges and canines. Unsurprisingly, there's been much pushback against the bill, particularly from law enforcement. Uh, Officials have underscored the crucial and critical role canines play in keeping law enforcement safe and protecting suspects from potential deadly force. They see the bill as counterproductive to its aim. I don't know. I think it's aiming where it wants to. 
Sheriff Mark Lamb of the uh, Pinal County, uh, Arizona, told AON last week that he's absolutely he's absolutely seen cases where lethal force would have been justified and was likely to go to going to be used as the next step had the police not dog not been effective. Quote, the dogs are extremely valuable, Lamb said. And the fact that they want to take this away seems to be, well, contradictory to what they want across the country, which is more and more reform. At least that's what they say. So I can't understand what they're trying to do. <laughs> it's, it's pretty obvious, don't you think, Sheriff Lamb? I mean, factions of both ACLU and the NAACP support AB 72. Shocker, shocker. And the measure would be heard, um, uh, could be heard in a committee as early as next week. So by their own admission here, this does nothing now. It is supposed to atone for some made-up history of the past. Typical liberalism. Speaking of liberals, they don't know what to do when light is shined upon them. House Democrats plan to meet and discuss Speaker Kevin McCarthy's giving Fox News host Tucker Carlson access to 41,000 hours of Capitol surveillance footage from the January 6, 2021. Majority Leader Hakeem, I'm sorry, Minority Leader <laughs> Hakeem Jeffries, he's the Democrat from New York, of course, sent a letter to a Democratic colleagues on Tuesday saying his team is working to confirm the precise nature of the video transfer. <laughs> yeah, we want to confirm the precise nature of the video transfer, which he called a reported breach that poses potential national security risks. Really? When House Democrats told a virtual caucus meeting uh, set for Wednesday afternoon, Jeffrey said members will hear presentations from House Administration Committee ranking member Joe Morrell, who's a Democrat from New York, and Representative Benny Thompson, the Democrat from Mississippi, uh, who was chairman of the now defunct January 6th committee, of course. Axios first reported on Monday that McCarthy shared with Carlson 41,000 hours of surveillance footage from the day a crowd of people entered the U.S. Capitol disrupting lawmakers who were meeting to certify President Joe Biden's 2020 election uh, victory. Now, Carlson later said on a show, which of course is the Tucker Carlson Tonight show, that his team has been granted what they believe to be unfettered access to the tapes. And he plans to start sharing that uh, that, what, what they found next week. He says, quote, some of our smartest producers have been there looking at this stuff, trying to figure out what it means and how it contradicts or not the story that we've been told for more than two years, Carlson said. We think already that in some ways it does contradict that story. Now, the speaker said last month that he was looking to release the tapes because of the politicization he believed had been fostered by former Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the January 6th committee, which focused heavily on former President Donald Trump in his final report. So, U.S. Capitol Police Chief Tom Menger 
um, confirmed security footage had given had been given to McCarthy, according to CNN. And when congressional leadership uh, or congressional oversight committees ask for things like this, we must give it to them, he said. Jeffries, Thompson, and other Democrats have already begun to raise concerns about Carlson obtaining the video by claiming this. They claim that he's a purveyor of misinformation that fuels Russian propaganda. I mean, come on, guys. Can you not find anything else to say? I mean, that stuff is getting so old. The police chief and federal prosecutors involved in January 6th cases have argued in favor of keeping much of the surveillance footage hidden from the public over concerns about security, of course. Since some of Republicans have been cheering on the release of the tapes, they, uh, of course, chose to do, do so. For, quote, for all of you that doubted that we would release the tapes, here you go. I'm very happy to be right again in my support for Kevin McCarthy as our speaker. This is what actually Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Republican from Georgia, said. She said, Americans deserve to see the truth, not a one-sided narrative an unfair two-tiered justice system. And and could it be, this is just this is just my my question here. Could it be that the liberals in Washington, DC don't want the footage revealed to the public because they because of what they've said about the January 6th and what happened there and the fact that it's full of lies? Only time will tell, and we'll keep our eye on it. And and speaking of lies. President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. <laughs> might be the only white boy from East Wilmington, as he is wont to say. But old Diamond Joe is much more than that. By his own account, he is the most Polish, Jewish, black, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rican, Greek, Irish, Catholic president that we've ever had. <laughs> On Tuesday, Biden was in Poland to reemphasize the swamp's commitment to endless war in Ukraine. While there, he told his Polish counterpart about his own connection with the Poles. He said this, As a young man, I was uh, born in a coal town in Scranton, Pennsylvania, in northeastern Pennsylvania, in, a, in an Irish Catholic neighborhood. Uh, then when Cole died, we moved down to Delaware, to a town called Clement, Delaware, which was a working class town, Biden told the, the president there. And uh, but uh, every everyone in town was either Polish or Italian. I grew up feeling self-conscious. My name didn't end in ski or O. The president threw in an all kidding aside but it would seem that he was—he—he he has always been a bit race conscious from from an early age. In fact, he's—he's he's most at home in a multicultural society, or rather, he changes his life story to best fit whatever group he, that he's speaking with. Uh, last month, in fact, he—he he also told a group of Black Americans that he used to go to the African American church in town after attending Catholic mass. Quote, let's lay one thing to rest, he says. I may be a practicing Catholic, but I used to go to 730 Mass every morning in high school and then in college before I went to uh, to the black church. And the, the, he, he actually said right up there, no, I'm not joking. And he knows this. 
he also had an affinity for the Jewish people and attended synagogue growing up. Did you know this? Uh, I probably went to Shoal more than than many of you. He stated during a 2022 celebration. Uh, he, he says, "You all think I'm kidding." He can tell you I'm not, as he as he pointed and made gestures toward the rabbi there. He said, I'm a practicing Catholic, but I go to service on Saturday. And on Sunday, the president explained, you all think I'm kidding. I'm not. <laughs> so Biden wants the American people to believe that he would spend at least three hours every weekend while in high school attending multi-faith services growing up in Wilmington. Really? Oh, and he's also practically Greek too on, on Greek independence day in 2009. He's of course, then vice president Biden. He declared, I am an honorary Greek, not only today, but every day. He gave himself the moniker Joe Bidenopolis because he said that in my first election, the, uh, the Greek community elected me. And of course, last fall, you can't forget about this while in Puerto Rico for the hurricane recovery efforts, Biden also let it be known that he was raised in a Puerto Rican community. And of course, Biden claims to be a devout Roman Catholic, but yet he also believes in gay marriage and abortion and and radical gender ideology and, of course, all kinds of things that go against the church teaching. So is Biden actually a walking, talking, melting pot molded by nearly every ethnicity and, and religion under the sun? Uh, no, <laughs> a far likelier explanation. And he's just a line cheese ball. <laughs> it's just, it is. And, and it is, it is always interesting to watch when a liberal gets confronted by the truth, especially when it involves them, the, the self avowed Marxist feminist, a, a former black power activist in the 1970s appeared on uh, as a, as a guest on the PB series, finding your roots. I, I haven't seen the show. I'm not a big fan of PBS. Maybe maybe this is really good. Uh, I guess it comes on on Tuesdays. Uh, during her interview, host Henry Louis Gates Jr. revealed that she is a descendant of one of the original passengers on the Mayflower, William Brewster G- Gates, the host. He shared a clip um, of the of the segment on Twitter. He says, "Any ideas what you're looking at?" He asks. That is a list of the passengers on the Mayflower. Davis is, is is literally in complete astonishment here. If, if you haven't seen uh, uh, the, the clip here, it is, it, it's really funny to see her facial expressions. She says, no, I can't believe this, she says. She's, she's laughing and throwing up her hands. She says, no, my ancestors did not come here on the Mayflower. She laughs again. <laughs> Quote, your ancestors came here on the Mayflower, is what the host says. You are descendant to, d- descended from from one of the 101 people who sailed on the Mayflower. And she literally goes into like, like eight no's. No, 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 no. She responds. And she, she tries to collect herself and she says, oof, she says, that's a, that's a little bit too much to deal with right now. <laughs> she just can't believe it. She just, she's spiraling. I mean, it, it really is, it is entertaining. According to the episode, Davis' father, Frank Davis, was legally the son of Molly Spencer and Edward Davis. But Edward Davis was not his biological father. Spencer and Davis actually separated before he was born. Instead, Frank Davis was the son of Molly Spencer, another white man named Murphy Jones. Experts were able to map uh, Davis's family line through Jones all the way back 
to William Brewster, an original signer of the Mayflower Compact and a leader of the the, the Plymouth uh, Colony. Also in the episode, Davis' uh, maternal grandfather was a white Alabama lawyer and state legislature named John Austin Darden. Through Darden, she is the, the descendant of a man named Stephen Darden. He's, he's a drummer born in Virginia who served actually in the Revolutionary War. Now, Darden uh, then moved to Georgia where he owned a farm and get this, at least six slaves. Quote, I always imagined my ancestors as people who were enslaved. Davis said, my mind and my heart are swirling with all of these contradictory emotions. <laughs> Davis has been, has been a radical racist activist for more than the last, last half century. I mean, she began her instruction uh, in Marxism from the, the time that she began studying at um, Brandonese University. She became a student at the radical left-wing uh, philosopher uh, Herbert uh, Marcuse, and and also studied the work of the uh, of the Marxist Jean Paul Sartre, who, who is a, a, yeah I, she's a member of both the Communist Party USA and the Black Panther Party, and she um, she spoke in Communist Cuba, uh, the, the, she spoke in the Soviet Union and and even East Germany. She has also had a long career in academia, beginning as a professor at uh, UCLA in 1969. She taught at San Francisco State, UC Santa Cruz, Rutgers University. I mean, even even Syracuse University. Uh, she also ran the, uh, for vice president as a member of the Communist Party in 1980 and 1984. Davis, who's 79, has continued her career promoting radical politics. I mean, in, in 2011, she spoke uh, at the Occupy Wall Street demonstrations in Philadelphia. She was an honorary co-chair and first woman um, at the first woman march in, in 2017. And she's she has called for the abolition of prisons. And in, in 2017, she opted, uh, she, she, in an op-ed, she called the, the uh, abolition of police in an age of Trump. That's what she wanted. She, she's family friends with Jesse Smollett. I mean, I wonder if, if, if we should protest her now that we know that she's a descendant of colonizers and of a slave owner. <laughs> I mean, liberals confronted with truth is always entertaining. You may agree with that. You may not agree with that. I would definitely love to hear from you. And you can, of course, do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.